This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This is Jeff Lindsay. This is Michael Pitt. Hey everybody, it's John Dudley from Knock On TV. Hey guys, this is Jared Scheffler from Whitetail Adrenaline. Hi, I'm Taylor Drury from Drury Outdoors. Hey, this is Nick Mutt from Bow Collector. Hey, this is Melissa Buckman. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter podcast. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. Working class bow hunter. You're listening to the Working Class Bow Hunter. That's right. This is the podcast for Billy Joe Lunchbucket, the working man, just like me and you. My name's Travis T. Bone Turner from the Bone Collector. Thank you for tuning in. It's really, really not that good. It is time once again for another fabulous episode of the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast. We are right here at 1600 Buckslayer Place, right here in the Buckatorium, located, and if you pull up your uh, Google Maps, Sherrard, Illinois. Beautiful Sherrard, Illinois. I'm Steve. Kurt's in the studio. Eric's here. Mark's here. What's going on, fellers? We're all here tonight. Another mm-hmm. cold-ass <clears throat> day. <laughs> <It was. laughs> Mark just got done hunting. Literally just walked in yeah. the studio. Yeah. yeah, he's still in full camo. It's, yep. it's awesome. Took my bibs and my boots off outside. <laughs> there you go. How, how'd it go? What happened? Cold. Um, nothing <laughs> until the last second of light and eight does piled into the cornfield, but too far and too dark. So that well, might be the end of 2016 hunting season for me. Yeah, oh, there's a. That seems like a very likely story for a lot of people this mm-hmm. season. I think two twenty six. Well, it, I guess it is a twenty sixteen yeah. season technically. I always call it the twenty sixteen hey, season. That's always weird. But yeah. twenty sixteen was weird, man. It was a good year, and it was a but it was a weird year. Yeah, 
Well, um, it got really warm and then cold really fast and then warm again, and it was just weird. South winds, like, all through November, it's yeah. felt like anyway. But maybe, it, south wind worked out for you. It worked, it worked you for know? me for yeah. sure, but you got to adapt to your situation what you got. But I didn't see many deer, but the deer that I did see – died i killed yeah like it was weird <laughs> so, you know it's, it's like the weirdest thing ever it's like i mean you're technically batting a thousand when you went hunting for you know when when you saw deer you know what i mean yeah, it's, i mean that is a good point yeah. i didn't see anything early season and then november came and i'm like there's a doe whack next morning there's a buck whack <laughs> i hadn't really seen anything else after that good kill ratio so there i got to stand ratio two in two days and uh, right. that's my season Two oh, days. I should have just planned it out, just hunted those two days, and called it good. <laughs> I, you should have, man. Just he, do that every year now. Yeah. <laughs> so it is what it is. But Eric's kind of you've had that struggle too. We, we oh, talked yeah. about it. It's and, been uh, ups and downs and everywhere. Steve put some brown on the ground there, and I did. That's some, some Smiths custom meats and deer processing I, meatloafs in the freezer. I did, man. Those. Oh. They're probably all in his belly by now, don't you think? <laughs> no, I've got a couple <laughs> left. I, um, How many did you get made? Like 26? No. I got, I, <laughs> it, it wasn't a big deer, man. I got what I could. I got eight of those. I needed some ground beef, and then I got... We uh, ate the heart, didn't we? We ate the heart. We did. Yeah. I couldn't remember. I, we ate, I ate quite a bit of heart this year, which is it's delish. It's delish. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't walk in and be like, I want this whole thing ground up and made all in the meatloaves. I thought about it, but I wanted brats, <laughs> and I wanted... Um, because I, I I wanted ground beef because I'm like man I'm just too lazy to go to the store. ground venison oh ground venison yeah. Yeah, bur- ground uh, sorry I wanted, I wanted to say burger <laughs> yeah no hey Scott I want ground beef well he brought me a deer yeah, sorry dude <laughs> I had uh, make some it work of the... man nine, nine, I want ninety percent pork fat ten percent deer in there just make it happen I'm real close <laughs> to punching you <laughs> <laughs> listen for a. Yeah, on, on the mic. But we um, want the back straps. I just grind them. I have a. It's not really a Smith's roast. I just cut the roast out for me. I have it in the crock pot right oh, now. Oh, I was smelling it. Yeah. And uh, I had their venison brats, jalapeno, and cheese the other night. Oh, and yeah. their money. Oh man, their they're money. Good. They're real good. Yeah, Smith's custom meats in uh, in Viola. He's um, he's had himself an incredible year. Um, we're happy to partner with that guy. That the Smith family. Everyone's wonderful there. Sam, local business Sam he's he, he's all right now I'm, I'm warming up I'm warming up <laughs> hey man, to we gotta Sam. get in good with Sam because he's gonna be the next business owner man we oh yeah that's right he is he's gonna take over Sam <laughs> keep partnering with us we're good for it we promise I keep telling well, Sam I was like man Sam you're growing every time I see you he goes yeah you are too and I go man <laughs> <laughs> zing gets like 14 or 15 he's got a little smart mouth on him he's gonna figure it out <laughs> smart mouth <laughs> the podcast is also um, brought to you by HHA Sports, um, good old Wisconsin-based company. It feels like a like a local business when you go around and meet the people. It just feels like oh, yeah. a mom and pop shop, but they're they make. I mean, it pretty much. Well, is, it's a mom and pop's house is yeah. what the business. Literally, is. Literally, it's really humble, and they put out, in our opinion, the best single pin site with a like a hundred percent like warranty behind it. If something happens to it, they're gonna back it up mm-hmm. and support it. And made in the usa i don't really know if you're going to argue with that you can't really right um, and it, i mean they invited us right up we asked them to go to a podcast up they're like yeah come on up so that's pretty cool we got yeah. invited back that's true that's <laughs> true like, and, we, and we even took you with us yeah as you know as, <laughs> i i was just steve the whole weekend and we got invited back so well i think people are kind of shocked like when we are around people we don't know they're shocked about how we seem to hate each other <laughs> all of us right like, yeah, I, I i get that too but yeah. we get along <laughs> they're so like they're like yeah i get asked like steve how do you do a podcast each and every week man those guys rip you and i'm like 
It works, doesn't it? I think you it know, would be because we're bashing each other twenty four seven. Oh, it doesn't stop. Like no. you'd be you upset guys... if we didn't if we weren't mean to you. I feel oh, like yeah. you'd be like, dude, what, what, you guys are being real weird. He'd probably <laughs> quit the pot. He'd probably quit the podcast. Because when people be uh, when people are nice to me, because I grew up in a household full of women, when people are nice, it just doesn't feel real. It feels like you're fake <laughs> when you're being nice. <laughs> you know how weird old, that? you know how the old saying goes: if I'm not picking on you, it means I don't like you. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of yeah. it's good, yeah. That's I mean, true. If we hated you, Steve, you wouldn't be on the podcast. We really wouldn't talk to you at all. I mean, yeah. let's be honest here. That's a good point. There is, <laughs> there, is <laughs> there is one guy who uh, who was actually really genuinely awesome that I don't feel that way about. He's a super good guy, Dan from Scent Crusher. Yep, uh, guy's an awesome guy. Yeah, we definitely. partnered with Scent Crusher too. I, I man, I couldn't be happier with everything that I've got. My ozone go. I, I pulled an Eric. I just leave that in my truck running twenty four seven. Just all the time. <laughs> Mine just plugged in. All my, it's a nice little nightlight too. Dude, I can, I can leave. I leave. <laughs> I leave a lot of like McDonald's and Arby's wrappers and stuff in my truck. And you get in there, it doesn't smell like it. <laughs> so. Scent Crusher really is. Uh, we say it all the time. Is kind of changed the way we do scent control. I mean, from the closet to the the bag Absolutely. to the ozone go. It's it's kind of like that extra added security. You you still do your part like. Remain scent free as possible. You shower. You you make sure your clothes aren't washed with detergent. But it's that one thing. If you go out, it's that one extra step you're taking. It keeps like the you know when you hunt. If you're on vacation or if you get vacation, if you're hunting for a week or two weeks and you're out and you wear the same jacket or the same pair of hunting pants or boots, you can put your boots in the closet, which is yep, fantastic. Yep. Is it eliminates that like musty smell that you notice? But you think about if you notice the musty smell, think about how that smells to Good the critters idea. in the woods because by the time that you notice it, they have already been noticing it from the first millisecond that you started oh, yeah. smelling like a pile for of mold. Sure, for sure. And <laughs> that ozone is kind of like your your bouncer of scent control where it's like, hey, man, I got you. Step back. I'm going to take care of this. And I don't know. Papa Dave is the biggest skeptic when it comes to products, and he looks like scent crusher pays him the big bucks <laughs> to wear the gear and yep. use the product because yeah. my dad's like this stuff is incredible he yeah. loves it don't he yeah. he absolutely he's loves such it. a skeptic anything scent control anything cover scent anything urine he's like yep. nah that shit doesn't work <laughs> yeah <laughs> all it does is big bucks just catch on to that shit and they're gone my dad's like man the scent crusher stuff i'm into it i That's, like it that sounds just like him too yeah. oh that shit don't work <laughs> oh, yeah. we bought some uh back in the day some some of that fresh urine stuff when you go to like department stores and it's in like the little mini fridge. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's oh, like yeah. you know they they always give you these bullshit guarantees like oh it's guaranteed to whatever from one them. deer to one bottle or whatever the yeah. hell they which say. could be true but they like kind of make claims which I'm not saying it's all wrong. I mean it can work in certain situations but I'm, my dad's scenario he's like uh, he used it. He had a deer come up and smell it and, like, got so on death comp five alert and just dipped. And he's like, man, fuck that shit. I'm over that. I'm never using that shit again. He's like, I'm going he's out of there. no scent from now on. And he, that was. Well, I mean, technically, that scent crusher is, you know, no human scent. It I mean, is for sure. Know, it's just. But you know what I mean? It, after that point, it was hard to introduce oh, yeah. him to a product. Like, hey, check this out. And that was, like, 2003. Mm-hmm. When that, when that happened, 2003, 2004, I was 13, 14, and I'm like, whoa, all right, I'm following your lead, whatever, I don't know what I'm doing. And so, so half, literally half your life, he didn't, you know, he didn't use sync control, and here you are. Yeah, no, yeah, that is true, I guess. Yeah. 
I mean, that just speaks highly on on, on what they're putting out. It is, yeah, it yeah. is almost exactly half my life. That's kind of what it. Uh, <laughs> Sorry to mean to break down the, you know, thinking how long you've been alive for, but yeah, you know, it, it is what it is. Moving right along, today's podcast after uh, the vet shout out, we'll there, get there right along. Don't, I'm <laughs> okay. not forgetting. Um, this one's actually coming from uh, from a guy, Adam uh, Juarez. He wanted me to give a vet shout out to his uh, Vietnam vet. It's his buddy. It's his hunting buddy. The guy's name is Will Cunningham. Uh, this is first of the fifth air cavalry. Uh, he was part of the air mobile infantry. Survived the Tet Offensive. Wow. Uh, did two tours in Nam, sixty-eight to seventy. Lives in uh, Vallecito, California. I guess he loves to bow hunt and can hike like no one's business. So, Will, awesome. thank you for your service. Yep. Um, Hats off to you, brother. Yeah, I mean that, that dude survived one of the worst of the worst. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where'd you get that shout out from? From uh, Instagram. The Adam Juarez is uh, L Chingon two hundred nine. So I wonder if he's friends with the Diaz brothers. I think he's in, in California <laughs> too, Stockton. Yeah, gotcha. But uh, yeah, hey man, the guy uh, he loves uh, he loves our podcast, and uh, maybe Will listens too. So thank you for your uh, service. And thank you. You know, if you uh, if you're a bow hunter and you are you know you know a vet that you want to give a shout out to, we're always going to do it. Um, we every, love our every vets, podcast. Man. Yep. Couldn't do this podcast in English without him. So that's right. That's right. Um, this episode of the podcast is definitely a change of pace from what you'll mm-hmm. you're normally used to listening to. Absolutely. Um, normally, obviously, we're Midwestern based, Illinois, Whitetail, and it's always interesting when you talk to someone out west about elk, antelope, mule deer whatever it may be if it's other than whitetails it's interesting because typically not always in our case we don't know much about it because we don't have the experience in it we've never gone on a hunt like that we're going we're going totally off the grid tonight yeah this is taking that (laughs) to another level um and we're going straight alaska yeah, this is totally different from like Western hunting because like I'm pretty excited for this podcast actually. Definitely. You know, and I'm pumped. and not all places in the West. It seems like someone can come pick you up in like a helicopter or a car. Uh, where these dudes hunt, eh, eh. not happening. This like, is not scary happening. territory. Like, dude, you could find yourself in a situation really fast. So this is um, 60th parallel adventures, and uh, I guess I don't really think we need to talk more about it. We need to get these guys on mm-hmm. and let them Absolutely. just. We'll do our thing, and uh, we'll get into it here, and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. I think we will. So I hope you guys enjoy, and thanks for listening. Okay, so uh, on the phone with us right now, we have from 60th Parallel Adventures, Casey Dinkle and John Whipple. Guys, how you doing? Hey, we're doing pretty good up here, man. We're looking at a pretty beautiful sunset uh, out the window right now. That's, uh, yeah, that... it's a balmy uh, negative seven right now. <laughs> well, hey, hey, there you go. It's a... Uh... We're not even going to try and compete with that because it's cold here. We'll just agree that uh, it's equally freezing. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're we're really happy to have you guys. Um, you know, we were watching a couple of your videos, and like the one thing that we were really impressed with um, was like we were watching some videos of how you guys hunt, and you hunt in places that I assume that hell looks like. It's just blown over there's no direction there's no couch no wi-fi nothing it's just barren and you guys go after it talk a little bit about um what you guys do yeah um well you know that that's that's why we're in alaska that's what we love is uh 
getting into the wild country. If we don't see anybody else while we're out there, uh, we, we count that a success. Usually <laughs> we, we like to have some room to stretch our legs, you know? Um, and that's really what it, it comes down to and what brought us together. Um, I'm a lifetime, a, a long time Alaskan lived up here most of my life. And, uh, uh, definitely grew up hunting and, and, uh, grew up with the kind of the stories of my, my grandfather living in the bush of Alaska and, and and uh, doing a lot of hunting and and then Casey came up here I don't know what was it like uh six seven years ago now Casey something like that yeah but yeah about seven years ago I'm a I'm a midwest farm boy like like you guys from uh northeast Nebraska originally and uh yeah I got bit by the bug when I was living out in Wyoming and came up here for a job and uh um the rest kind of history ran into John through uh some of the circles of hunting up here and and um yeah, we both like to do, you know, do, do it yourself, you know, uh, backcountry hunts that, uh, get us away from, from the modern world, you know, and, um, right. get out there and work hard and go after it. Right. For sure. I well, think, well, and that's the key. It's hard to find good, good hunting partners that are, are not only competent and that you can <laughs> not, not want to strangle after a couple of days in a small tent, but <laughs> yeah. that, <laughs> really want to get out there, you know, in the, into the wild country and, uh, so when uh, when we bumped into each other, it, it clicked pretty fast, and that's that's something you don't take lightly. For sure. I mean, you get that feeling, and when you go hunting with one of your buddies, it like develops like a deeper connection where you. It's a different type of friendship when you hunt with someone, whether if you if you didn't hunt with them or not, your hunting buddies are always the closest people, and you you experience the same type of. Uh, well, for you guys, especially in Alaska, I, I can imagine. I'm just talking about Illinois. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be a way deeper connection that you develop with with your hunting buddies in Alaska than you do in Illinois. Because, I mean, when you guys get into a situation up there, you're in a real situation. Like in yeah. Illinois, you can just you know scurry over a few hundred yards and you're near a road. Up there, it's mm-hmm. if something happens, you're relying on each other. Yeah, and you could get away with if someone, you know, you know gets it's it just man it. You get away from where everyone else is, and you're at a point where if something happens, no one can come get me. You know, you have to have that human yeah. instinct to just survive. Like, and if you're having that with a hunting partner and you guys make it out, I mean, that's just that's as primal as it gets, I think. Yeah, I couldn't. Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more, you know. Um, I, I don't know if John can probably echo on this, but, you know, like, my first fly-in hunt up here, you know, John and I go to a lot of remote areas, and uh, uh, I guess the real sobering experience on that was uh, when that plane dropped us off and, and flew away, and, uh, you know, we had no communication for 10 days until we were going to be picked up. It, you know, that was that was a sobering <laughs> experience. Like, okay, well, you can't just hike out of here. You could, but if, if you made it, you'd be, you'd be a real mess and be hurting pretty bad by the time you got out. So, you know, it's don't mess up while you're out there because uh, – even if, even if the plane can get to you, there's a lot of times that uh, may not get you out of there in time to, to take care of you if, if, if you're hurt bad enough. So, Man. yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that. It's crazy. Okay, well, I think we need to cover. Explain who you are and what you do and basically 60th Parallel Adventures as a whole. Um, for someone that's never heard of it, if you had to just be like, this is what we are, boom, what would you yeah, say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, like I said, it, it definitely started uh, – you know, just as a friendship and a, and a hunting partnership. Um, and then we started to think about it and realizing, you know, we're doing some pretty cool stuff that not everybody is blessed to have the opportunity to do. 
And uh, we also have this passion for videography and photography. Uh, we have kind of the means here to to uh, share this with with a lot of other people. So uh, that's that was kind of how how things started, uh, going on hunts and then figuring, wow, wow, what the heck? You know, we're out here. We might as well uh, kind of record things and and share it. And uh, that has kind of snowballed into creating uh, several short films. We've had a couple showing in the hunting film tour, which some, some folks may have heard of or have uh, hopefully been to, but yep. our buddy Baker the Olivia years and traveling around it. the country. Yeah. Good old Baker. Yeah. We know him well. Um, so we've, we've been a part of that and, and, uh, started to create, uh, content for, uh, different outdoor companies that we've, we've started to, uh, partner with like, uh, Vortex and, Kimber and a handful of others and primarily companies that we, you know, we've been using their gear already. And, and we thought, you know, this, this is stuff that, you know, we can stand by. We, we like carrying this in the field and in Alaska, it's a big deal. Like when you, when you're picking gear, uh, it has to work. Uh, you can't, most of the hunts that we do are, are 10 days to two weeks at a time. So like your gear has to be good. Um, yeah. <laughs> cause you can't switch it out. You can't, you know, if you break it, you can't like, throw it on the desk when you get home that evening and and go pick something else up for the next day like right it needs to hold up so we're pretty picky about our gear and uh so the stuff that we over time found that we really liked we approached some of those companies and say hey this is kind of what we're doing and um would you would you be needing any photography or uh, video work to you know to, with uh some of your gear featured and so that's worked out pretty well for us it's, and it's been able to kind of fund uh fund our addictions for sure. Um, can you go ahead and get your website out now so people can check out kind of what you guys are doing? Uh, we were watching some of the videos yeah. earlier today, and my God, man, you have some beautiful footage. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm awestruck. I, I can't even, I love it. The whole time I'm watching, I'm like, this is going to be awesome. We, like, need to, yeah. we need to make a trip to Alaska. That's what I was thinking the whole time. <laughs> so yeah, cover your, your, your uh, website, we... social media, whatever else where people can find you first, and then we can just get right into the goods right after that, so. Heck yeah. Uh, folks, uh, first of all, could go to our website, which is 60thparallel.com. That's 60thparallel.com. And then, of course, we're also on Facebook and Instagram under the same name, 60th Parallel, uh, on both of those. 60th Parallel Adventures for Facebook and 60th Parallel for uh, Instagram. Awesome. Now, I want to get into, like, you know, when we were watching some of the videos, you know, I don't know if it was – just because of how beautiful the layout was but you know you guys have top-notch uh videography i mean and that's you know when you watch a a lot of um a lot of hunting shows you know it's it's a lot of um you know gopros and things like that and that's absolutely fine for here but it seems like you guys take it to the next level and it's you guys are just so remote with like really nice you know ways that you film i mean that's got to be a challenge in itself because number one you're trying not to die well it's different shots yeah. from, i think what you're trying to say is like <laughs> shots from the wing on a plane yeah and like shots of you guys on a cliff where it looks like if you go left three feet you're yeah. dead if you go right you're rolling down a hill for three miles i mean I, it's mind-blowing to me because i don't have there's nothing like that in illinois you yeah know? i mean we you know, right. we, we struggle to get like you know Facebook Live videos, you know, to look really good. But you guys are out there, <laughs> incredible terrain, you know, walking foot and foot with with grizzly bears and things, and it it's it's very beautiful to look at. Um, you know, explain 
because you guys obviously have to take a lot of time and things to do that. So explain your your filming process. Yeah, it is definitely an involved process and adds a, a whole other layer of uh, intricacy and and definitely sometimes difficulty to our operations, um, both before and and during the hunt. Even, even a lot of things people don't think about is uh, getting uh, consent releases from people who appear in your videos or or uh, getting uh, film permits for the area you're going to. Casey spends months getting all that paperwork in order Whoa, uh, before we get out in the field. And, uh, yeah, it, get, it gets pretty involved. And, um, you know, so the process starts before we ever even get out into the field, that's for sure. So and, you're uh, saying like a field then, permit for whatever zone you're in or something like that? I don't know how Alaska works, but. Oh, Casey, go. You, you go, man. <laughs> He's the one that yeah, files so, it. Well, <laughs> Well, the short and sweet of it is, I mean, uh, depending on which, um, you know, land use your or land ownership you're you're filming on, um, they all have different uh, stipulations for filming, commercial filming and or photography permits. So, like, if you're on BLM ground or if you're on state of Alaska ground or you're on uh, national parks, um, um state parks i mean they're they're all different and um there's certain things you can and cannot do and there's uh certain time frames to film and some of them may or may not even allow you to um show like a the the taking of of an animal you can show everything up to that and 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 after that but you can't actually show the take of the animal in some cases so that all has to be you know heavily weighed um on on our end as far as you know where we want to hunt and um what species we're going after and time of year and so on and so forth. And, and those permits take, you know, anywhere from, they could be as quick as a couple of weeks to um, the longest I've had took about nine months to get it all set in place. Wow. And literally that's a, that's kind of literally insane. got it in hand like a week before we left for the hunt. That's wow. kind of a buzzkill, um, you know? It's just, <laughs> well, there's yeah. so much involved. <laughs> right. I, exactly. I didn't know anything about that yeah. or that was even a thing. No, no idea. Yeah, the, you got to have permission in certain places. I've heard you can't even film hunts in certain parts of the country. So, yeah, that is correct. that is absolutely yeah. correct. Yep, that's weird. Oh, that's yeah, creepy. that's very. I guess a lot of people are going to learn from that one. I had no government idea. overreach is what it is. Right. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't get it started. Yeah. <laughs> but um, one thing <laughs> that. People are going to get, so I, so I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, one thing people are going to get from your videos is, one, you can watch your video and know, and there's not a lot on your website right now, and I want you to get into what you guys are doing with that, but you can watch your videos and say, like, these guys know what they do, and you have to know in that terrain. Um, can you talk about your philosophy of hunting, how you guys go about doing a hunt, and what it takes to get out there and film and go after it and climb through the terrain? Wow, so, yeah. uh, it, <laughs> it's a it's a lot it's a lot to chew off, and I mean we kind of we live and breathe hunting. It's kind of always on our mind, and the cool thing about living in Alaska is hunting season really is never over. People ask like, "Hey, when's hunting season up there?" We're like, "When's hunting season? What are you talking about?" <laughs> uh, we take a break in July to go fishing, but that's about it. Um, you know, there's always something to hunt up here, which is cool, uh, but it also means you know, our, our head is kind of always have to be in the game and, and three and three steps ahead. So, um, kind of planning on, okay. So Casey and I usually sit down, uh, in November and December and, and we kind of plot out our whole hunting year for the following year. And, 
then we're we're looking at okay well what are our priorities what are the main species that we want to hunt let's start looking at some good areas for that uh and then um kind of fill in the pieces there and then of course you know we're playing the whole lottery draw tag system and and that uh, that's a wild card you never know what you're going to pull there and um so that's where it starts um and then uh we have a lot of spreadsheets (laughs) we start we we start you know okay let's start looking at the gear lists you know um for the next hunt and we start going through and all right what what kind of hunting gear do we need for this one and what kind of film gear is this one going to take of course you know that that adds adds a whole nother layer and sometimes we have another uh we certainly can't take all the credit for for our our film quality we we definitely do a lot of it and there i'd say about 70 percent of our hunts where it's just the two of us and we're doing all the filming but we also have uh, a partnership with an outfit called silverline films and uh a couple of awesome guys micah and josiah and a lot of times micah will come up from idaho where he's based and uh join us he, he grew up in alaska uh, in part as well and is a quite a hunter in his own right and he'll come along and, and do a lot of the filming with us as well on some of those hunts which is a huge help because that takes it's really hard to be in front of the camera and behind it at the same time <laughs> absolutely <laughs> almost impossible yeah front facing yeah. camera bro. not impossible we definitely <laughs> do it but it's a lot nicer when you don't have to right right yeah, sure <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, that is one of those one of those situations. You know, not only are you filming it, yeah, when you talk about bringing someone else up, but we watched a a quick video um, of you guys packing out gear, and it's you know you basically have to take almost everything to if you don't put an animal down to live and survive for fourteen days. Plus, you got to take camera equipment, batteries. You know, it's just it's yeah, it's always one of those amazing things to see. You know what you guys do. And just how you can capture that moment. I mean, it's 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 amazing to us. We're we're watching the videos again, just blown away by what you guys do. I mean, you know that gear pack out has to be something special. Like that, that's a couple day thing. What's what's the process like? Yeah, yeah. Well, each hunt's a little different for sure. We put a lot of a lot of thought into uh, what gear we take. Uh, fortunately, we're both pretty detail oriented, and we both really like playing with gear. Um, so it's fun for us, uh, to kind of always be looking for, you know, the newest or, or, you know, better, better equipment, streamlining our packs. Um, you know, every ounce counts. Yeah. Lighter. We're always looking for lighter, <laughs> lighter and smaller. Um, you know, cause we're doing backpack hunts primarily. That's what we love is getting into the back country and putting everything in your backpack. Um, and so, I mean, that's, that's tough enough as it is any sheep hunter or, um, goat hunter, you know, anybody that's doing backpack kind of stuff knows you really are paying attention to weight. And then, but then we're adding our, our whole camera kit on top of that. So it really, we really have to think about it on average. Yeah. How, how much do you think that your pack weighs? Uh, let's see. That's a good question. I would say we've got our food lighter, Casey. What's our food per day weigh now? It's less than two pounds, right? It's closer to a pound and yeah, a half we're a day. About, Yeah. We're about, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood, 1.3, 1.5 pounds a day Ooh, couldn't uh, do for it. our food to live. That's breakfast, <laughs> wow. lunch, and dinner, so to speak. Um, wow. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, and, and, and by no means, um, you know, we're eating good food, we're eating healthy food, but we're, a, a lot of it is um, um, dehydrated type stuff. And uh, we're, I mean, the, the name of the game is you're going to lose weight if you're 
if you're on a hunt <laughs> and, you're, and, you're, and you're trying your butt off, um, you're not going to be able to take in as much as you're expending during the day, but it's, it's, it's enough to get you by. So I anyway, we're, we're right in that ballpark around probably uh, 1,500 to 2,000 calories, depending on, on uh, any any given trip and what and what, what we're trying to do. So, what company You're do wise. you guys use for food? I mean, what I mean, if you guys are using it and you're living off and out there in the bush, I mean, it's got to be decent enough to to get you through the yeah. day. It's got to be edible. Yeah. We've uh, we've tried a lot of different stuff and we've got it pretty dialed in um, to what we like. Everybody, I mean, everybody. Um, you know, the sheep hunting community is pretty tight up here and everybody's got their own opinions on the kind of gear they, you know, like anything, right? <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, of course. People of take course. different things, but, um, what we settled on is, um, we make our own breakfast, uh, mix that's like oatmeal and protein powder and dried fruit, uh, and some seasonings. And, uh, so that, that, that's pretty solid. There's, there's, uh, I don't know, two, 300 calories there plus uh, more than that. Um, that's like 500 calories isn't it? and then about 30 grams of protein. So that packs a pretty good chunk, a uh, pretty good punch for the morning. And then we take three or four, uh, variety of protein bars, like cliff bars and zone bars and premier protein bars, things like that, um, to get us through the, through the day. And then a ration of M and chocolate peanut M and M's. Those are important. I agree with that one right there. Yeah. No, I'm... And, uh, we used to do Mountain House, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with, and, and, and we still like, uh, you know, we won't knock Mountain House. Um, but we've switched over uh, primarily to a brand called Heather's Choice, which is uh, a local company up here in Alaska that does, it, I, it, I guess, what you could compare it to is Mountain House, but the better version. So it's, it's uh, all... Uh, natural and it's a lot closer to what you'd recognize as food right it's it, right so even though even though it's dehydrated it's not as processed and doesn't have as many preservatives in it For so sure. um okay we, i have one we, big it tastes, question it tastes about, a little better my big question yeah. about those foods is i see the mountain house stuff at like the local gander mountain or yep, whatever yep. camping store are the uh, let me if you've had these i hope you have because this question will be great because i've been dying to know or the ice cream sandwiches <laughs> that come in the little packages are those any good? <laughs> you know, I like those. Have you had those, Casey? I've had them. <laughs> I, I have not had the ice cream sandwiches yet, but I've been looking at that. Um, those things are great. I got uh, yeah. I, I got love no, it. I mean, it's not quite what you'd expect, I guess, but I guess I'm afraid <laughs> that I would really like them, and then I would just substitute <laughs> all of my dinner with ice cream sandwiches, yeah, and I would, I would get nowhere. So. <laughs> right. You guys know, probably burn so much <laughs> calories anyway; it wouldn't matter what you ate. Yeah. I'm I'm I'm, right. kinda, I'm on Heather's choice here. Just kind of looking. The first thing that pops up: dark chocolate chili. Yeah, uh, it combine it combines my two favorite things of dark chocolate and chili. So I'm already sold. <laughs> uh, you know, but it seems like yeah, they um, you know, they get everything in these convenient meals and you know just enough nutrients for you guys to for you guys to live and you know the. Man, that just that's not a way I want to live, man. I have to live near like a McDonald's or an Arby's or something, man. That's just Casey and John are full out. John and Casey, I just want to say here, um, Steve is kind of what you'd call the uh, the heavy type of guy, you know. Husky, we call it husky. husky okay. I've, I've bought husky clothes since I've been seven. So Steve husky. looks like he's never walked up any stairs anywhere. So I think in Alaska, if, say if you brought Steve along for a hunt. 
You might kill him in about 10 yards, so <laughs> you guys better have a solar-powered golf cart because that's the only way I'm going to make yeah. it. You're going nowhere in a golf <laughs> cart. That ain't yeah. happening for me, man. Um, the rest of us, uh, we'd love to come to Alaska if uh, yeah. you guys are looking to kill some Illinois boys. But uh, um, <laughs> what I want to talk about is it's uh, do-it-yourself type of hunts like yeah there's no guides with you guys that are like hey boys we're gonna hold your hand up this mountain and you guys do rifle and archery hunts yeah absolutely and that this is kind of a big deal to us uh we don't uh, we don't knock guides we have a lot of buddies who are guides and a lot of times we'll recommend that people uh employ their services that they they provide a great service and and uh it's a lot of times a good way to go but we uh take a lot of pride in planning our own and executing our own hunts that uh, has a lot of meaning for us. And, uh, and we have, we you know, like the freedom that, you know, that that affords. And uh, w- that's one of the big reasons we started sharing what we're doing, you know, through photos and through videos to show people like Alaska is not like this big unattainable uh, pipe dream kind of thing. It's, it's, it's very achievable. It's very doable. It's different. And there is a learning curve, uh, you know, uh, don't, don't come into it without preparation. Uh, but with, with a little bit of preparation, it, you know, virtually anybody can, can come up here and be successful. It's, it's definitely something that you can do. Yeah. That's, um, That's nice true. to hear. I, I, I like hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and, and coming from your guys' neck of the woods, you know, um, I, I, I've got a lot of buddies and stuff that live back in the Midwest and that was kind of their big thing too. You know, I, I remember them saying early on when I first moved up here, they said, well, I said, you know, you're just lucky because you live there. You, know, you can go after those hunts. It's just, you've got the opportunity. We don't. And, and that's exactly the wrong, uh, the wrong message and, and mindset to have. I mean, you, any, anybody can come up here and do it. And if you, it, you know, if you can't afford an expensive hunt, that's, that's understandable. Um, you can still come to Alaska, just do your homework and, and, and you can have your, your, your dream hunt other than the fact of like some species up here, um, as a non-resident, you do have to have a guide for by law. Um, okay, okay. and, uh, so those, 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 you have to go through a guide, but there's, you know, a handful of species, moose being one of them, uh, caribou being another one that you don't have to have a guide for. Um, and so, uh, Interesting. yeah, I mean, um, right. So I can oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. Oh, I can oh, I was want... just going to say he's, he's got a lot of great, uh, what Casey said, there's a lot of great gateway animals that kind of get you that taste of Alaska and you kind of build, build your experience, you know, like level one, level two, you know, start with sick of blacktail or caribou and then black bear and then moose. And then, you know, that's interesting. I like yeah, hearing that. Absolutely. It's kind of cool. It's like a step. It's that's yeah. the learning curve probably is what you mentioned. You know what? Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of wanted you guys to hit on like all your different terrains, like in your videos, you guys have like six different terrains that you hit on. You know, the mountains to the snow to everything, like, in your obstacles with that. The high country, high elevation. Absolutely. And... Yeah, if it, if it holds a critter, uh, we'll, we're going to go there. And so, I mean, everything from uh, from the tundra, to, you know, to, to muskox hunting to um, high mountain hunting, you know, for doll sheep and, uh, and, and, and mountain goats. and But each one of those, as, as we've been kind of talking over this, uh, past few minutes is, is you know holds holds a, a different regiment of of gear um, that that we prepare for and um, you know sometimes even a different training style to get prepared for that um, 
and uh, you know, just knowing your your query and, and what you're going after. But uh, mm-hmm. Alaska holds a lot of little things um, that the lower 48 does not have, and uh, um, you know, those those learning curves, as both John and I have been uh, been speaking about, are huge. And you know, there was there were certain little things up here like um, sphagnum moss that uh, uh, I had never heard of or seen, um, and I'm in the um, ag industry and, and I, I fly all over the place, all over the state uh, for my normal day job. And, um, you know, little, little things like that can get, can get hunters into trouble because they don't know what it, what it is or, um, just walk into it blindly. And so like those, uh, those, those first hunts like that, um, starter hunts, as, as John said earlier, are, are huge and, and, and knowing your terrain and, and knowing the country and just getting a little taste of it without diving into it. So. For me, that's what's kept me uh, loving hunting in Alaska so much and why I'm not tired of it uh, after, you know, 20 some years of of hunting is uh, because there's so much variation. We get so much different terrain and so many different animals to chase around. So you can really switch it up if you want to be in the thick brush. Um, you know, doing quick shots or, or on a, working on a, off a stand, you can do that. If you want to, um, work really hard for your animal and climb a lot of mountains and see the high country, you can do that. If you want to float a river or, uh, go in the ocean and, and do the coastline, if you want to head up to the Arctic, if you want to get out on snow machines, if you want to, um, hike across the, you know, the tundra, there's, there's, uh, just so much to do. And it's all entertained, right? And it's all in one state too. That's what's cool about it. And it's all in one state. Yeah, yeah. It it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I love that. Well, John actually, he, John likes to tease me a little bit because I, I tend to be kind of a. Uh, we we all have our favorites as far as the t- different types of terrain we like to hunt. But uh, living in Wyoming previously for ten years, I got really used to a lot of big, wide open spaces, open country, yeah. and, and high country. And I really, I really like. I mean, my bread and butter. If 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 I could hunt one species um it would be it would be sheep and sheep and or goats and uh that that high mountain hunting is just where i like to be and uh i get kind of angry and grumbly about going in the brush uh, we, we, chase, we chase bears and, and john likes to tease me i get caught up in the brush and fall down and it's uh it's quite the comical scene once in a while but uh but it's but it, but it's all fun it's, it's all cool experience and uh um you know take take the the you know the kill is only you know, one percent of the hunt, the whole experience and, and right. uh, trials and tribulations throughout that hunt is, is really what makes it up. Even if you're, you know, knee deep in a swamp and caught in alders and mosquitoes are tearing you apart, <laughs> one and question, you're really angry at the time. Right. One question I have that I want to ask this, and I want to move on to some of the animals that you're hunting that you hunted this past year and what's planned for this next year. Um, what's it like? Because when I was watching your guys' videos. Um, I'm kind of thinking the whole time, seeing how just remote you guys are and the beautiful scenery and the mountains and the northern lights and you guys are camping, living out there. And I feel like you guys are just, I don't know, I can just, I feel like me being up there, I'd look around and be like, this is earth, man. This is something that not a lot of people get to see. Mm-hmm. Do you feel kind of weird once you go out there for 15 days or, or a long hunt when you come back into like a town or if you travel for work, if you hit like reality, a, a big yeah. city and you're talking to white collar city people that never leave that city. I mean, is that kind of like a weird 
um, like reoccurring culture shock that hits you. Do you, you kind of get what I'm what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And there's no yeah. way you guys are married because you can't have that much fun all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, For not me, married. It's a, no, neither of us are married. We, yeah. <laughs> um. For me, it's that's what recharges my batteries uh, is getting out and doing that. So, so when I come back, I, I actually feel more refreshed, and it's easier to deal with um, with uh, city life because I've kind of uh, hit the reset button and and been able to remember what my place is in the world, you know, and been been humbled um, by by the hunting experience, you know, that we just had, and had a lot of time to reflect and mm-hmm. and. Uh, let my let my brain gear down back to basics and uh so for me uh it's it's a necessary recharge time and it's like a and, medicine uh, for it you. actually makes it easier yeah that, that's exactly what it is yeah yeah i kind of i kind of echo john with that um you know uh my my whole gig is you know get, getting out and getting away from the normal uh, rhetoric of society and stuff for you know, 10 days, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, our adventure is, you know, and, and the outdoors have always been to me, it's kind of like my, my church, so to speak, you know, I get to, yep. I get to have a lot of, even though, even though we're out there and we're, we're going after a critter and, and we've got a mission, um, in mind and we've got a, a, you know, a common goal and we're going after, um, uh, film at the same time and photography, you know, we're working and, and hunting and doing everything hard. It's still, there's still enough time for kind of recentering yourself and, and uh, um, some good thinking going on. So, yeah, I, I totally echo John in that. Awesome. Yeah, I always just wonder that, and I, I was thinking that the whole time watching that video, and it's uh, that's I, I would almost was kind of imagine like how would I feel, and I feel like I would be like looking around, and kind of freaked out at first. Like, man, I'm back around all these electronics. These guys doing podcasts over there, yeah. and I want to get back out on the mountain, but uh. One thing, okay, I want to talk about your guys' last year's hunts, and I want to move on to what you guys, when you sat down in November and December and planned out for the mm-hmm. next year. Number one, I need to know about musk ox hunting because when I see it on, on TV and on your guys' videos, I and I'm a Pope and Young measure, so I've measured musk ox, and it's just kind of like this weird alien animal that I feel like people in Illinois, <laughs> if you don't hunt, you have no idea what it is. It lives out in the middle of nowhere yeah. and it's freezing. Never it's, seen it in a petting zoo or a regular zoo. So ba- basically can, can right. you talk about, and I might be throwing too much at you in one question, but can you talk about musk ox hunting? And then I have a question within that question is, does a compass work when you're that far north? <laughs> because it's white out tangent, but we can get that it's white out up there how did the know how do you know where the hell you're going and how to get what the direction home? you're heading yeah <laughs> right it, it's like it's insane to me yeah um, it is pretty know, awesome. you want to start yeah sure i mean it it even for us living in alaska it has a flavor of otherworldliness right when you're muskox hunting uh partly because of the terrain you're on flat Arctic plains usually. Um, in Alaska, where our muskox are located, is kind of along the western, uh, northwestern part of Alaska, the coastline there. And so there's a couple islands that have them, and then there's a little bit of the mainland that have them. And uh, all of it's pretty much the same, whether you're on the mainland or, or on, the, on the islands. It's flat, uh, it's windy, it's cold. Uh, 
And uh, so you kind of feel like you're on planet Hoth to begin with, right? Right. And and then you see uh, these creatures that are straight out of a storybook. It looks, they look prehistoric, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and you're right. A lot of people, even in Alaska, like we have a couple of domesticated muskox farms up here. So like, it's a thing. People know what they are, but, but they still, they still like takes them a minute to look at like, wait, is that a buffalo? No. What? Oh yeah. Muskox. Right. And, uh, so there's just a, a, a really unique factor. Uh, most people don't get a chance to hunt them. It's, it's a draw tag hunt generally. Um, and, uh, so we're, we've been really, really fortunate to be able to go uh, chase them a couple of times, and uh, they're they're one of my favorite critters to hunt just because of that experience, right? Just the the yeah. kind of country you're in, and then the animal itself—they're just so fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, I, I I would agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, they're uh, they're the only critter. Um, next to black bears left in North America that's, you know, was, was still around during when saber-toothed tigers and, and woolly mammoths were still roaming the earth. And uh, and to kind of see them, you know, um, even on several adventures we've been at pursuing muskox, you know, uh, taking a snow machine out, and you'll see them kind of run across the tundra, and it's it's like stepping back, you know, a couple thousand years in time, and um, it's kind of gives you a whole different perspective. And then you, then you add the idea of negative 20 and a, and a 40 mile an hour wind, um, and whiteout conditions and how they can survive out there and, and, and how you're going to, you know, get an animal down and break it, break it down and, and get it back to, um, your cabin and or tent that you're staying in is, is, is the, the factor of, of, I guess, life getting real, real fast is, uh, very sobering and uh just just really cool and, and really challenging as well so okay yeah. so it makes I, it fun because there's a whole new level of difficulty when everything's 20 you know when it's 20 below and there's a 40 mile sustained wind <laughs> yeah. all the time and that makes it interesting like it's right. fun when when you have to think about that stuff you're like you can't skin the animal out with bare hands your hands would fall off right oh, like right are you like what what <laughs> gloves do i wear when i'm skinning that i can get all bloody and that still have grip you know at this temperature and uh wow. you know what tent is gonna and sleeping bag is gonna you know be able to hold up to sleeping out here and, as you guys are talking yeah, i fun. have so many like little questions are popping um, into my head that my mind's going crazy i, I have here. to pick and choose which ones i want to ask and we might have to do some follow-up <laughs> episodes because okay i have some mini questions one is what's the coldest like feels like temperature you've hunted in hunting muskox it's got to be for like, muskox yeah i mean you probably don't even know but uh, i mean if you had to guess yeah i don't know casey for for muskox We've been lucky. It's never been terrible. It's been about 20 below, I think, is the coldest temperature on the thermometer, and then add whatever wind chill to that. That's yeah, insane. probably 15, 20 mile an hour at least. Oh, not yeah. that bad, guys. So, I mean, you, <laughs> you, you, said, you said, how do they survive? How do you survive in that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you dress in a lot of layers, and you'd be smart about it. You know, we have uh, awesome fur hats I was gonna say. Uh, from other yeah. critters that we've killed, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, a lot of down and a lot of merino wool. A muskox jacket. I'd have, I'd, <laughs> yeah. I would have to be invested in hand warmers. Oh, yeah. You know that. You know what's funny? It's like you know you think of like how our ancestors hunted and like they did that, and you know you're thinking about all this, and then 
you're like, man, that's nuts. Well, and the then natives it makes up there too. I mean, yeah, and then it makes like. I guess dragging a deer out of thick timber isn't so bad now, you know, especially for the bow hunters around here. Uh, you know, you can get a you can get a sled and pull it out there, but you guys, man, like ah, that's. I, I got another question. How, how is muskox yeah. meat? Oh, amazing. Is it yeah. really? What do they so eat? Well, of course, it's yeah. worth it. Do you know what you went through to get it? It's obviously <laughs> better. But what do they? What what do muskox live off of? What do they eat? Yeah, so they're they they they're um, very interesting critters, or what they call, um, and this kind of goes back to my my normal day job as uh, as an agronomist for the state, and uh, deal with a lot of forage stuff, and deal with the, actually the muskox farm here in in Palmer, but they're they're what they call an intermediate grazer, meaning that they they change their diet about three times a year. Um, so wintertime when it's out there and it's just barren tundra, there's little uh, perennial grasses that. Um, you know, are died back and they're, you know, sticking up a couple inches. They eat that. They'll, they'll eat a little bit of lichen. And then, uh, come springtime when the grasses start growing and stuff again, they'll, they'll go between willows and grasses and sedges and they just kind of just rotate throughout the year to whatever they can get a hold of. And they're constantly, you know, moving and, and trying to paw through the snow and, and the ice and, and get that stuff. So yeah, it's, it's truly amazing to see them, um, in that landscape and to look at that animal and go, how the heck can they survive? You know, yeah, it's negative. Man. In some of them it's areas, amazing. it's negative 60 with a 40, 50 mile an hour wind. And it's, you know, um, complete whiteout conditions off the sea ice. And I mean, it's just amazing. And they just stand it like it's no big deal. Like it's just another day for them. You know, and I've so got a, pretty um, cool. I've got like a small question, you know, cause I, I, I had watched, you know, uh, Steve Rinella hunt them once. And, um, you know, they said like they tried to get up on them, but like they're, They've got good enough eyesight. You know, that's just kind of one of the things to me. I mean, do do they have great eyesight or do they have to have like like another protective like lens on their so, eyes because that wind is just constantly blowing and like how does your eyes not freeze? Freeze out. You know, that's just that, that's blowing my mind. You know, how they live. I guess maybe that's not the smartest question I've ever asked, but it's just interesting. They have a nictating membrane. But but to the wind. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. maybe it is that simple. I mean, yeah. is, is, do they have great eyesight, or what's the story on that? Yeah, I would say they their their eyesight. I mean, John, what do you? I mean, what do you think on that? I'd oh say yeah, their eyesight I, they, is they, they, up to speed on everything else that I've hunted. So. For sure, they 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 see real well. I mean, they're they're planes. Uh, game essentially right mm. um their their habitat is open country and um their their two primary and it's windy all the time right so their two primary defenses are uh eyesight and scent right um so yeah no they see just fine um they're just their defenses are a little different than some critters because they're on the open plains you know they're not running to brush lines um you know like and go hiding hiding in the in the, in the brush, like a bear or a deer or a moose might do. They, they are either really running like to where you won't catch up to them or they circle up, you know, in a yeah. de- defensive circle. Cause they're, they're, they're natural predator is wolves. So, so yeah. if they, if, and they usually travel in, in a herd so they can circle up and kind of create that defensive circle horns out and works pretty well with wolves. And it makes it tough as hunters too, because you know, you have to be careful about incidental, wounding right um like yeah. any herd animal so you have to be super yeah. aware of pass-throughs uh, whether you're using a bow or a rifle and uh if they if they see you and they circle up that can get real tough yeah, yeah and, and you know they've got hair that's you know three foot long that hangs you know only a couple inches off the ground and 
and uh, so it's it's always good to let them to start to kind of break up and clear and run just a little bit um, before you t- you know get a shot if possible because they're always facing you so you don't have a broadside shot and uh, it makes it especially difficult um, when you're when you're doing archery hunts on them because you've got to get so close and they they they're natural instinct is to face you and if, and usually with most bulls they're kind of ornery and they'll actually charge you yeah. um oh, wow. and so you've got you've got nowhere to run um so you hope you're hunting <laughs> yeah, so you've got everywhere to run you better get that snow machine i don't i don't even know how you shoot a bow in that high of winds or that, that cold be, yeah that cold that'd be insane i'd be cramping up like a son of a gun trying to pull my <laughs> bow back up there with a Negative twenty with I'd, a wind chill. Man, I just watch it on TV. Yeah, and enjoy it there. Good lord. Hey guys, I got a question. Uh, between the wind gust. Hey guys, I got... <laughs> yeah, Casey <laughs> pulled off a beautiful shot on his last uh, bow muskox. It was pretty cool. I'm hoping to be able to post that video uh, not too long from now and 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 let people see that. Uh, it was it was awesome. He he threaded the needle on a. It was a, a moving animal in a thirty mile an hour wind, and he nailed it please let me know when that comes out oh and yeah we'll have to share it um yeah. mark's got a question yeah i got a question for you guys what would be the most coveted tag or animal up there that you guys enjoy hunting would it be the doll sheep um i got a taxidermist Ooh. friend in alaska up there and he's shooting marmots and ptarmigan and grizzly bears and mountain goats and doll sheep and i'm like every day he's posting something new and i'm like i mean is it too expensive to hunt something up there or or what would be the most coveted tag i guess uh, i guess those are kind of two two different questions coveted i think is probably an individual uh preference thing but if i'm i would say for most people outside of alaska it's doll sheep brown bear and moose probably yeah uh, i'd say doll sheep and brown bear would be vying for the top and and uh for locals um I would say it's pretty, still probably doll sheep and brown bear. Moose are pretty common for locals. Uh, that's kind of like white-tailed deer. People hunt those deer, moose and caribou, you know, every year. Um, but doll sheep and brown bear are probably the. Would you agree, Casey? Kind of the the two top yeah, dogs. Kind of the, and, and yeah, it's kind of the and they're definitely also thing. the most expensive too to yeah. hunt because as yeah. a non-resident, you um, the way that the way I understand it, um, the rules are kind of based essentially around safety is, is the first priority. There's a lot of other factors that go into it. Um, but, uh, the animals that are the most dangerous to hunt up here, you have non-residents have to have a guide. Um, and, and so for brown bears, you have to have a guide cause they're, cause they're brown bears. Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, there's a couple other critters that, well, a goat or a doll sheep is not going to attack you. Right. But, um, uh, the kind of terrain that they inhabit is, is kind of dangerous and you do kind of have to know what you're doing to stay out of trouble. And, uh, so, uh, let's see, those, are, those are the only three, right? Dinkle. Yep. Brown yep. bird, goat or sheep. Yep. Um, so those are yeah. the three that you have, you have to employ a, a, uh, a guide or have a, a, uh, next of kin, like second degree relationship, um, go with you. So like if you're, you know, if you, you had a, a dad or a son or something that, that lived up here you could go hunt with them for sure okay what i want to get into now is i want you guys to take this podcast and i want you to talk about basically like a really noteworthy hunt or experience you've had whether it's one or two stories that you can tell that 
maybe like you got charge, bluff charge, or like a shady experience, or just like a really awesome hunt that just something that really stands out. Yeah, something that stands out in your guys' oh, memory yeah. hunting up there. I mean, um, <laughs> I, it's probably every hunt up there. <laughs> oh is, yeah, but, now they're laughing. But that one just died every day. Yeah. Basically, take this episode and just. Uh, Freak everybody out that's listening from the Midwest. Let's do this. <laughs> Keep them off your critters up uh, there. Yeah, let's hear it. Casey, how about you do the goat hunt, the last goat hunt, and I'll do the last bear hunt? Okay. All right. <laughs> good Lord, good. these uh, are the most recent hunts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, go go ahead, John. Um, tell them about the bear hunt. Okay. That was All right. So um, our, last, our last brown bear hunt um, was uh, – awesome uh it, we did a fall hunt usually for brown bear you're either doing late fall or early spring uh so up here that means late fall means october and early spring is like april may and um or even march and uh so we went we went in uh october and uh, we went down on the alaska peninsula uh, which is kind of, if you're looking at the map, it's the big, the big chain, the big finger that goes down off the bottom left of the map. And, uh, there are, there are a lot of bears down there. It, it, that, that is bear country is it's thick. And, um, so in the fall time, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, in the fall, usually what you're doing is, uh, looking for food. Well, this is kind of true all the time, but, um, you're looking for food sources, right? And, and you're hunting those food sources. And so in the area that we were in, that meant salmon streams. Um, we're, there's salmon streams running into the ocean. And uh, so we uh, got dropped off and, and, and uh, with our packs and, and, and our, you know, our tents and everything like we normally do and, uh, and backpacked into this area where, um, that we kind of studied on the map and, and looked like a good confluence of, of, uh, of feeding streams. Mm-hmm. and set up and uh everybody that we told that we we're doing this thought we were insane because um, most people just in in that area just don't uh camp out because <laughs> <laughs> um, there's because there's a lot of bears and and uh <laughs> and they and they mess with you sometimes and um, but we're like well we're, we're used to being in bear country and and uh you know we've got a pretty good camp set up so we weren't and, and we got rifles. We're looking for bears, right? We want to see bears, so we weren't super worried. <laughs> right, right. And uh, so we went down there, and we got set up, and we just, as soon as we started hiking through that country, we knew we were in the right spot. We're seeing um, bear trails that look like four-wheeler trails. Uh, no, no, no exaggeration. Like, yeah. here's the, 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 they're, they're wide, and they're like six inches, eight inches deep. Um, dug into the ground just from bears walking back and forth and and yeah yeah (laughs) and uh and and we're seeing dead dead carcasses of salmon all along all the all the streams you know and and, uh so we're like okay we're in the right spot awesome and uh (laughs) so we set up our tent like uh between there's a kind of a we have alder bushes up here which are kind of a kind of similar to a willow bush but meaner and thicker and nastier and um so we kind of, there's a brush line of alders uh and then maybe two to three hundred yards from that is a, a big old salmon stream and we plunk our tent kind of right in the middle because we know that the bears are hanging out they pretty much spend the whole afternoon in the brush and then right at dusk 
they come out and they feed all night and then they go, then they go back and hide in the brush. Mm-hmm. That's how they get big, right? They know better than to hang out in the daylight. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, so we set up thinking, all right, we're just going to set up right here and, and then glass and, and uh, ambush them between, you know, between the brush and the stream. And uh, so we set up camp and then we set up on a little knoll and pull out our binoculars and just start looking and looking and looking and, you know, we don't see anything all evening. We're getting a, a little bit discouraged. I mean, and we know it's the first day, but still, we we thought we might see something come out around dusk, mm-hmm. and it's getting pretty darn dark, and we haven't seen squat. And I'm like, Dadgum, all right, well, I guess uh, we'll see what we find in the morning. So we get up, and we start to mosey back uh, to the tent. We haven't taken but, like, five steps. We turn around, and boom, there's a big old sow with three cubs probably 100 yards to our left <laughs> that pop oh. out of the brush, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Cool. So we like we watched those for a minute as they, you know, and they had perfect down example the of stream, like you know? their reaction versus our. We're all like, oh no, oh, get no, the hell out of there. They're like, hell yeah, party's on. Let's watch. For sure, <laughs> something interesting can happen right here. You guys are nuts. Well, in this case, we're in, we're in good shape because they they were up up a little ways from us and headed headed towards the salmon stream. Like we weren't positioned between them and and where they're gone, so we weren't too worried about it. And, and it was fun just to see bears, you know, because that's over there. And uh, so we're like, all right, cool, like four bears right off the bat. And uh, so then we we take another couple steps, and we look, and another bear um, pops out of the brush uh, 100 yards to our right. We're like, whoa, okay. And then we realize that it's a sow as well with, with uh, two cubs. Oh, my God. And, and uh, we're like, oh, geez, Okay. And this one, we are kind of between them and the salmon stream. So we keep going because, like, the sow and the cubs are kind of the worst-case scenario as far as actual bear trouble goes, like, as everyone knows. Right. Right. Cause, and uh, so, like, all right, well, we'll keep moving. So we make it maybe another 20 yards, and boom, a, a small boar pops out of the brush, like, 50 yards away. <laughs> uh, and just and just sitting there looking at us. He's, like, not a big one, like, I don't know, six-and-a-half-footer probably. And, uh, <laughs> I love it. And, I love it. And so, <laughs> and so all, you know, within, within the space of five minutes, we've seen eight bears pop out within a hundred yards of us, you know, just out, out of nowhere. And we're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa hey, you know, <laughs> yep. Head on a and so now it's, now it's dark and we're expecting a bear behind every bush, right? As oh, we make it back man. to our tent. Jeez. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but we don't, we don't see any more, but our tent is like, we were glassing only 75 yards away from our tent, right? So like all these bears are within a hundred yards of our tent. Oh, and, uh, man. so we're sitting there and, and we're, you know, chatting like, wow, that was pretty cool. You know, like we're definitely in the right spot. And, uh, can't wait till the morning and then we realize oh crap we didn't get water yet did we oh, oh no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> time, time to drink your pee <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, good, so, good, good thing i brought a bunch of diet coke <laughs> right yeah so like we don't we don't pack any liquids in right we just bring a water filter oh, and no. uh and and it's dinner time we want we're, we're hungry and thirsty we've been carrying heavy packs all day and, uh, so we're like, all right, and, and, you know, we want obviously stuff for breakfast in the morning too. So like, all right, 
go down to the river and, or go down to the salmon stream and get some water. Well, we're going down exactly where all the, exactly where all the bears are headed. Right. Uh, and it's dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, why not? And you need and, water. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, Ugh. nothing bad could possibly come out of this. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, so we hungry. go down there <laughs> and, uh, there, there's a pretty good bank on the stream, right? It's about a, probably a six foot bank. And so Casey drops down the bank and, uh, with the water filter and, and starts to, to pump water. Meanwhile, I stand on top of the bank with my rifle and just kind of keep lookout. So I'm standing there looking around and sure enough, um, there's a, a gentle slope upwards of about 60 yards, um, from, from the stream up, up to this little hill. And on the top of the hill, up there, there's a, a bear's head, you know, that pops up about 60 yards away. And then, boop, boop, two other little bear heads. It's that sow and two cubs that we'd seen a little bit earlier. And uh, they're headed down to the salmon stream to eat. And, but, but now we're, we're at the salmon stream, so they're headed straight towards us. And uh, because they're skylined, I can see them. And, uh, and they, but they don't see us yet. They have no idea we're there. And uh, so I was like, dang, all right, they're headed our way. I don't want to spook them. It's a sound cub. Um, all right, I've got my headlamp on my head. It's turned off. I'll turn it on. And that, that'll be like a gentle way to let them know we're here. Mm-hmm. So I do. I, I, I pop my headlamp. The sound immediately charges. Just boom. <laughs> hey, oh. hey, you don't mess with mama Go. bear, do you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she sees the light, and she goes into full charge. And the problem is, as soon as she charges off the top of the hill, she's not skylined anymore. She has the hill behind her. Oh, I yeah. dude, you're at all. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and so I pull, you know, I pull up my rifle and I can see her just the outline of her through the scope, which is good. And uh, obviously, and uh, <laughs> yeah, better, so, better um, than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. But the last, I mean, like hunt over, right? If if you shoot a if you shoot a DLP, you know, brer, a sow with cubs, that's, even though it's hunting season, I have a tag, a sow with cubs is off limits. So mm-hmm. it's the last thing I want to shoot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so at about 30 yards, I holler at it and, and it's like, Hey, get out of here. And, and thank goodness, like that worked. As soon as she realized we were people, she put on the brakes and went the other way. And so I look over at Casey who, is still down, you know, six feet down in the in the hole. He has no idea what's going on. I'm like, hey, he has no. You got idea. enough water? It's time to go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> time to change my shorts. Yeah. Oh yep. no, I thought I found a cool seashell down here. You know what? Well, what's going on up there? Oh, dude, look! It looks like a fossil. <laughs> grab a grab a salmon and hurry up. Hey. Get the... Oh boy. Good old that dog, that, Alaska. That was a good oh, introduction to the hunt. <laughs> I was just gonna say. Actually, I was I was just trying to decide if I was gonna keep pumping water or shoot John in the legs and take off running. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, who's gonna find him up there? Yeah, yeah. He fell down a cliff. Good luck finding him. He's down there fishing. Oh my god, <laughs> that is so horrifying. Oh, That's boy. insane. Yeah. I, I well, wouldn't even. I wouldn't even know what to do. I just freak out. There's one terrible I have scary to, experience story down let's hear the second well first <laughs> first i want to do a small intermission casey and john a funny thing that i say on the podcast quite often and you guys will probably laugh at me and be like no you're full of it is i always say like i think it would be if i'm gonna go one way i want to go by like 
moose charge or bear charge or like even if a deer hit a what big midwestern whitetail hit me like that's how i would want to go out like <laughs> you know if, if if i'm gonna end it that's how i want to go or almost go and and survive and have a great story and a cool scar <laughs> heck yeah Is i'm a, with you 100 percent, man Okay, I'm, that makes me go feel better. Fighting. That's the place to do it, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you better go to Alaska. I was either expecting you guys to say, like, yo, dude, you're okay, come to Alaska, and then we'll, uh, we'll really make your butthole pucker when you, got a, <laughs> when you got a grizzly bear charging you. And uh, so I'm glad that you got to back up my theory. I have no idea what that'd be like. I would probably run like a little girl and scream. <laughs> And probably get you guys in more trouble than you thought you need to be in. <laughs> but I, I have to hear the other story. If that was the first story, I, I need to hear the second one. <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, this, this story is actually fairly recent. Um, John and I just returned from a uh, from a mountain goat hunt on Kodiak from this last October. And uh, it's, uh, it's an area on the south end of the island that is... Um, uh, really rugged um, and logistically a, a little tough to get to um, and it's a it's an area where you can actually um, kill two mountain goats uh, or register for two tags uh, per person uh, on, on the south end so it's the only tag like it in in North America that that I personally know of um, and I do a lot of research across the entire United States uh, for for various critters so to, the, the idea of john and i going down and taking two mountain goats was was pretty cool and we've been wanting to do this for a while so we flew down there um and they, like i said the area was super rugged flew into a high mountain lake area um and uh <clears throat> the day we flew in was kind of windy um and as they say in alaska you know it's it's not so much the critters you got to worry about uh other than bears obviously um but it's it's more so the weather. The weather will get you faster than the uh, um, the critters will. Mm-hmm. Um, if, especially if you're comparing it to like Africa and stuff like that, where you've got a lot of stuff that wants to bite you or sting you or whatever. But uh, so yeah, we um, flew in and uh, um, particularly windy day. Bar- barely got into the country because of the wind um, on a small super cub with floats. And set up our camp, and and the first few days of the hunt was um, was really mild weather. And when I say mild, I mean like variable wind, forty degrees, um, and it's Kodiak, right? So Kodiak is known for two things: really bad weather and lots of rain, and um, and giant brown bears. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> we weren't we weren't too worried about the bears, just simply for the fact that. Um, we were, we were up in the rocks, right? Like, like we're up at about 2,300 to 2,500 feet, um, right, you know, basically in the, in, in, in the rocks where they start. And, uh, it just went open rock from there on and sheer vertical terrain, um, really, really steep, nasty stuff, um, tough to climb in. And we were super excited too, because we were seeing like a lot of mountain goats around this area. Um, mm-hmm. so we were, we, we got, uh, we got set up on some goats the first day. Um, John ended up, um, John and I both ended up, uh, pursuing this group of goats. We didn't happen. And, and, uh, later on that evening, we were able to dispatch one goat and, um, get it packed out. So we had a pretty good start to the trip and 
again, if you can imagine some of this terrain, I mean, we were only, some of it, we were only going a mile, mile and a half, but it would take us, you know, six, eight hours to get over there. Wow. Yeah, no, um, I feel you. Because, That's because it, because it was so rugged. That's so crazy. yeah, so, uh, we got one goat down and then we, uh, we, for our, our, um, we, we used to use a sat phone when we went on, on hunts. And basically the sat phone was for an absolute emergency or more so just, Hey, um, we've got a critter down at the airstrip to come pick it up. But, um, now we've, we've switched over to, um, an in-reach Delorum unit. And so, uh, I ended up getting, uh, a text from, um, a friend and, and my girlfriend saying that, Hey, you guys got a big storm coming your way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just, just FYI. And so we kind of went, okay. Um, and John and I had been through, um, quite a few hunts already where we had bad weather, but, um, and I might add too, on this, on this particular hunt, we actually had, um, Micah along with us that John mentioned earlier from Silverline Films. He was helping us film on this hunt. And, uh, so there was three of us and, you know, we're both pretty mountain, uh, all three of us are pretty mountain savvy. So we kind of just went, oh, okay, you know, well we'll just worry about the storm when it gets here. And as fate would have it, um, John ended up taking a nice Billy. Um, I don't know, John, what, what day that was probably five of, of, of a 10 day hunt. Um, uh, let's see. I think it's four. Yeah. Four. Okay. And so takes well, a nice Billy, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So we, he shoots us Billy and we get up in the rocks and it's, it's on a, this really steep, boulder field um that we're kind of maneuvering this this mountain goat around and and um we got about half hour 45 minutes before dark and uh the storm hits us all at the same time so we got dark we've got storm and uh we're trying to get video footage and break down a goat to get off the mountain and uh you know the the storm moved in like instantly um, it was fast we went from it was real fast yeah, probably went from conservatively variable 10 to 15 mile an hour wind to probably sustained 25 to 30 mile an hour winds with gusts upward of 60 to 80. And um, so we got wet rock, you know, 90 pounds or better in each one of our packs. It's dark and it's sheet raining, like raining the hardest I've ever seen it rain in my entire life. And we've done two previous <laughs> on, on Kodiak where it rained really hard, but this was ridiculous. Like, raining so hard that it was basically, you know, you could see a few feet in front of you with, with your headlamp is all. Wow. Um, and so we made our way down to, uh, to a slightly flatter spot. We got, we got off the real steep vertical stuff and it was just kind of, um, a somewhat rolling boulder field down to a drainage. And again, we're, we're in all rock and, and a couple times walking down through this, through the boulder fields and through um, some some of the high alpine stuff, the wind would come up and you would hear it loading off the mountain and you just have to kind of stop <laughs> and brace yourself or, or lay down because I um, both at some point in time, both John, Mike, and I, we all literally got blown off our feet by the wind. Like just completely, it was like a bully coming in and just pushing you down, knocking you over. Wow. And um, so, yeah, we get that, uh, we get that, uh, um, in our favor coming down the hill, you know, with, with these winds and stuff, pushing you downhill and the rain and slick and everything else. And we finally get down to, um, a little area and we're just looking for camp. Um, we're just trying to 
basically we we've got just the rain fly of, of our bigger tent with us and we just want to find a spot to put it up that's relatively flat that we can throw our gear into and get out of the rain because now we're saturated down to the bone we're we're, we're getting cold and um and it's dangerous right it's nighttime it's windy it's raining um and uh we don't want to you know fall and break a leg or better off or worse yet you know stumble off a cliff or some something of that nature so we get the we get the rain fly sent up um and the whole time (laughs) all three of us it was like uh um you know it was like how many how many guys does it take to set up a a rain fly in (laughs) 80 mile an hour winds is really what it comes down to right so we, we get it finally set up it takes us you know 15 20 minutes and we use boulders to guy out all the lines and everything and and uh, take our our ninety pound packs or so and put them inside the rain fly on the windward side and we try to try to buffer that just a little bit right and uh, we're you know we'd hear the lo- the wind load off the mountain and hammer the tent we'd all put our hands up and hold the tent up so it didn't get you know ripped out of the ground and, or or wow. rip it out of the guy guy lines off the rocks and so on and so forth and so this is about we had put our three in the morning by now. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, the yeah. sun's coming up so in a I couple guess. hours, so you'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and we had started hunting basically at daybreak. So we've been, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty tuckered out by this point in time. And, uh, and again, this is four or five days into the hunt already. We've already packed out one mountain goat, went numerous miles, yada, yada, yada. So we're, uh, we're getting, we're getting a little tuckered and, uh, we figure, well, we'll, you know, we're going to wait till daybreak. Hopefully the the wind will let down a little bit and the rain will let down a little bit and go from there. So we all kind of just are, you know, like, all right, we'll just wait out till morning. And the air <laughs> so we're just sitting there in our rain gear, just like drip dry. Right. And, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> just like kind of you know, snuggling as close as we can together. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, we basically, um, where we set up camp, uh, was this little, like, was my bright idea i looked over next to this kind of wall cliff area and i said hey there's a little green spot on moss there we can set up camp because uh, everywhere else was boulder fields and so we set that's where we set the tent up and where we set it up was right next to a little itty bitty stream when i say itty bitty i'm talking inches wide at most and just trickling through the rocks mm-hmm. and uh didn't think anything of it and it was raining so hard that we that i woke up at like by five o'clock in the morning, four thirty, you know, I was kind of dozing out of sleep, and I, I wake up and I hear this like, roaring sound, and it's still raining, and cats and dogs, and I'm just like, what is that? Right. But the wind, and, uh, the wind uh, subsided a little by then, because before the wind was howling so bad you couldn't hear anything except the wind, but now the wind's right, yep. down a little bit, so this other roar starts to make itself known. <laughs> right, and so. As I said something to both Mike and John, and they were kind of like, "Oh, you're delirious," you know, like go back to sleep <laughs> and uh <laughs> and we all kind of chuckled and, and uh pass out again and then i wake up and I, it's still it's still going and i hear water running and i look over towards the edge of the tent and we have like i see water running basically in our tent and uh i'm like what the heck and so i unzip the rain fly and i look out and sure enough there's a full-blown river like <laughs> deep, like running through the edge of our tent and uh you know it's still pouring outside and we're backed kind of up against this rock wall. So we're basically, there's, there's nowhere to go. We either break down tent and, and try to get out of there or we hope the water goes down, you know, type deal. And, uh, it's still dark out at this point in time. So we're just kind of like, okay, we'll just move our gear to the other side of the tent and we'll try to, 
try to wait it out. And thankfully, the rain let off just a little bit, and uh, um, you know, it got got light, and uh, we got out of our tent, and it was just like there were waterfalls where it was completely dry before because we had this all you know this huge mountain, this huge impermeable surface, and so there was just waterfalls everywhere, little rivers everywhere, and uh, and it allowed us enough time to be able to basically get our, get our gear together and pack this, pack this goat out. And the trip never, never really let up from there on out until the very last <laughs> day. Nope. We had, we had solid rain. Um, actually when I got back from the trip, one of the first things I did is I went on, on the internet and I looked up the, uh, Kodiak airport and some of their weather meters that were on the South end of the Island. And, uh, that particular day that that storm hit, they had, they had six inches of rain in, in a 24-hour period. Whoa. And so <laughs> it, it was just unbelievable. Um, Which was a new record for Kodiak. Wow. Correct, yeah. Yep. And at the Kodiak Airport, which was on the north which is on the north end of the island, they had um, less rain and less wind, but they recorded 92-mile-per-hour wind gusts. Oh, my oh god! 92? <laughs> wow. You know, so it was... Uh, you guys are way bigger men than we will yeah. ever be. I'll tell you <laughs> what, guys. Hey, I'll tell hands you what. Down, hands I got, down right now. I, I, have a, I have a horror story for you guys. This one time I was hunting. I forgot, oh, my, good. Glo- I forgot my gloves. <laughs> and uh, I got down at about noon and went to my truck. Man, it was the worst, like, three hours ever. <laughs> <laughs> so get this. Oh, Casey was, is holding back on you guys. Um, actually, I should say, First of all, for anybody that's listening, you should go to our Instagram page, and there's some really cool uh, little video clips from inside the tent that day that he just described and a lot of other cool pictures from that hunt um, (laughs) that will illustrate far better than our words kind of what it was like. uh, You know what? After after hearing that story, I think I'm going to get on there, and I'm going to share every single one on the Working Class Bowhunter Instagram because (laughs) I am obsessed. (laughs) I'm I'm seriously becoming obsessed with you guys and your adventures. Like, I I hope we can do more podcasts because we're coming near to the end, and I'm like, I have so many questions. Uh, I want to hear more stories. Like, can we please do more? I hope that you'll come back for more podcasts. I just want to hear what kind of tent they're using. This thing's probably nicer than my house. (laughs) He's like, no, just stand up to that. It's a Harbor Freight. We're big Hilberg fans. <laughs> Man, uh, Casey and John, please come back for another podcast. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not done yet. What I want to move to, we're, we're getting out of time. I want you guys to cover basically who you're working through, who your partners are, that who, who are the companies and, and people that support um, 60th Parallel, and then uh, basically maybe talk about real quick um, hunting film tour and then uh, we'll have to wrap it up. But I, I definitely, I, we got to do another podcast, man. I have so many more questions. Yeah. I want to hear more stories. Yeah. And also when, uh, uh, will you- go, and also when the when our trip is to come up there. Yeah, <laughs> we got we got to get out too. You ain't got to worry about me coming up there. I'm staying home safe. So we'll just Eric and Kurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, right, like so, that's our mantra. It, uh, we, we want other people to come up and experience it. It's it's very doable, and uh, we we're always open to answering questions. And you know, there's usually there's there's a lot that goes into planning a hunt up here. And uh, anybody who wants to shoot us an email, we're always happy to. Um, that's good and we'd for love to come back on, on for another podcast. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Absolutely. Um, for uh, our uh, companies that we've been working with, we've uh, mentioned a couple of them already uh vortex is 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 our our biggest uh partner we uh, really have enjoyed working with them 
we've been using their gear for, for a lot of years uh, prior to working with them. That's one of the reasons we called them just kind of like all the other companies that we, we do work with. And uh, so in fact, if you uh, look at the, this year's catalog, the 2017 catalog, that's uh, Casey's Ram plastered all over the front. And uh, you'll probably see a few pictures of uh, the goat hunt. Casey just told you a story about uh, in, in, the, in between the covers as well. And uh, so Vortex is a big one. And then uh, Kimber Firearms, uh, we, we love those Kimbers. And uh, so, you know, you need a gun that's going to, I mean, like I said, any gear, man, it needs a hold up. You need, you need it to do what it needs to do. When, when it comes to rifles, it's like, you need to shoot accurately. You don't want a wounded bear, right? And it, and it mm-hmm. needs to go bang when you want it to and not all the rest of the time. That's what I like to say. Kimber's 1911s, uh, though. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. I've I've shot yeah. uh, what I shot I shot the micro I think it was, and that was probably yep, one like of the, the micro nine. Yeah, yep. and that was probably one of the finest guns I shot. And the kid that told me I was I was like, man, this is the nicest gun I've shot. He goes, I've probably put twelve thousand rounds through that firearm. I was like, There's <laughs> no way it, it racked that smooth. And he's like, yeah, dude, I shoot a lot. And man, that's that, awesome. You know, that's something that holds up. I you know it was. I did want to talk a lot, but maybe not next podcast about the Kimber rifles because those look like next podcast I, will yeah. cover Kimber, and then I want to hear more stories. Yeah, <laughs> we got to hear more stories. Those look like they'll hold up. You know, that's just nuts. Well, and uh, uh, John actually just finished up a um, review that he did uh, that he and I did on the uh, Kimber Mountain Ascent too. Yeah, I guess have to check that out. It's on uh, on Facebook. Kimber had shared that and. Um, on Instagram as well too, John. I think we did the thir- uh, fifteen or thirty second segments of that. I believe there, we shared right? that. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure we. Yeah, did. yeah I think on. Fa- yeah, I think it, it's all just on Facebook. I think so they were too a little too in- long, too involved for Instagram. But yeah, they're definitely out there. Okay. Check those out for sure. Um, now, some other guys I really want to mention for anybody that's uh, thinking about hunting in Alaska or that already is. Um, if you already are, you probably know it already. Uh, Barney's Sports Chalet. Uh, that's uh, one Absolutely. of our local guys that we uh, work with a lot. And they're based out of Anchorage, which is the kind of the big city up here. And uh, it's just a small locally owned business, but they've been up here for forever, I think 40 some years. And, and uh, Bob and Kevin who run that place are, are uh, premier hunters and uh, they're all about conservation and um, all about doing hunting the right way. And uh, so we really like supporting them. And it's also the kind of spot, like if you have any questions about gear you you're like well, I don't, I don't, what's the best stove or the best type of socks i mean you name it um if you go into their store like they they do the research uh day in and day out and they're they're in the field all the time so if it's in their store it's like the best in class you know just bar none they yep. they don't they're they're super picky about the stuff that they carry and uh so you can kind of count on everything that's in there to be the right choice so Definitely want to give them a shout out. They, if you're doing any kind of Alaskan hunting, that's a stop to make, uh, or and uh, give them a call. Awesome, yep. absolutely. Um, we'll have to see if you guys can send us like maybe some links to their websites and stuff. I can throw that in the description of the episode, um, so people, if they're curious, they can check all that stuff out. Um, Definitely. That, that might have to be the wrap of this. Anything else you guys want to add, real quick? No, man, it was just fun getting to chat with you guys. I mean, 
it, next best thing to hunting is telling hunting stories, right? Right, yeah, for man. sure. Hunting I I definitely do. I mean, we'll stay in contact, man. We got to do more podcast episodes and stay around. Even though we end the episode, we've got to keep you on the phone here for a minute. Um, yeah, I I feel like we never covered enough. Like I wish I could do four hour long podcast. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> I, I want to keep going. I want to hear more stories. This stuff intrigues me so much. Alaska to us in Illinois and Iowa is such a foreign land. Yep. Um, I'm just trying to process everything right now. What's been said, and I'm like, I can't even process it all. There's certain podcasts that we do that I'll go back and listen to because there's information or just stories that I want to rehear, and this will be one of those podcasts for me. Oh, yeah. um, and I got to say right, right now, probably a personal favorite. Um, I've I've been obsessed with Alaska Hands down. for Hands a long down. time. Um, You've even got a Yukon moose tattoo. Yeah, I got know? a Yukon moose tattoo on my arm because I'm like, I have to do it. And nice. I'll, and I'll never forget it. And uh, <laughs> You need to get that covered up with an Alaskan doll sheet. A fun fact is uh, <laughs> before I landed a, a big boy adult job, me and Sam researched moving to Anchorage hardcore, and I was going to go to – I was going to taxidermy school, and I was gonna. My goal was to move to Anchorage to become a taxidermist in Alaska, and uh, life. Oh, hit, yeah. life hit me real fast, and uh, I'm stuck in Illinois. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I watched. Uh, I watched Balto, and that's never a place that I want to live. I don't want to live in a place where I have to depend on a dog bringing me medicine. <laughs> well, you guys are crazy for living up there, but you know, I, I man, I'm super glad you guys came on. You guys are killing it, man. I'm super stoked to see everything that you guys put out. You're going to be back on for more podcasts, and you're going to have more stuff. You know, for everybody who isn't checking you guys out right now, you need to find them. 60thparalleladventures.com. You get like you guys are on Instagram at 60th Parallel Adventures, Facebook. Man, you guys are you guys are killing it. Thank you for doing what you do. It, it, you know, it's it's awesome to just as a fan to watch, man. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you, man. Those are real kind words, and uh, it means a lot. We, we we just love doing what we do and sharing it, man. So those are the about. only those are the only kind words you'll ever get from me. So <laughs> take, that. <laughs> take that all in. <laughs> Steve, Mark, Eric, you guys got anything else to add? Yeah, the Mark, you ends? do. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say before I interrupted. I was going to say, no, that was amazing. Um, you know, super informational, most exciting podcast of uh, my favorite so far. So thanks for coming on. Eric, what you got? Big thanks. Yeah, I mean, I I just I want to get to Alaska. I gotta see what it's all about <laughs> and check it out, man. This is this is my kind of stuff right here. And uh, I guess my closing is uh, John and Casey. Uh, I hope I can come to Alaska one day, and you guys can scare the hell out of me, and uh, I'll never say anything about getting a scar from a grizzly bear ever again. Right? <laughs> see, hey, you guys have fun up there. <laughs> so stick on the phone guys uh thank you everyone for listening we hope that this was a good change of pace for you um it's not your bread and butter whitetails man it's something different and that's what we need as archers and bow hunters and hunters in general is that's it, what it's all about is exploration and Absolutely. get out of your comfort zone and learn something new and just go um, out there and do it if you're that's right and i hope 60th parallel adventures can really bring when hopefully they come back like they say they will for our <laughs> podcast and continue to kind of get us outside the comfort zone like how they said it's it's attainable it's a dream for all of us in the midwest but it really is attainable you can do it and it, i like hearing these guys tell their stories and say like you know you guys can do this so hopefully they'll keep coming back they can keep talking you into your dreams and we can all eventually get out there and uh get after what we all dream about all the time and basically i'm going to close with you know what to do go shoot your bow we love you thanks guys